0: More than half the U.S. states have imposed lockdown measures now restricting gathering and social contact, disrupting the lives of more than 100 million people, according to The Wall Street Journal. Business Insider ups the ante a little bit, says together the state and city populations affected by some kind of stay-at-home order Hold approximately 251 million people, more than 75% of the US population. This is being done for good reason. We're trying to head off a pandemic. We're trying to flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm our medical resources. However, this is a precarious thing to do. We know that the economy of the planet is being impacted by these extreme measures. And at some point, the economic impact will become worse than the actual impact of the coronavirus itself. Thank you for listening today to Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. There are a lot of things that are unknown about coronavirus. There is more information unknown than known, perhaps, right now. But as time continues to pass by, we're learning more and more and more about the virus, and there is hope. And I wanted to talk today a lot about antibodies. I wanted to explain the way that viruses work and what antibodies can do to help solve this crisis. I think one challenge that the media has is trying to provide enough information that people have a good understanding of the dynamics surrounding an epidemic like this without providing so much detail that the meaning gets lost in all the chatter, so to speak. We need to be able to see the forest and the trees, sometimes at the same time. So I wanted to do a quick discussion today, a little primer on how viruses work and how human immune systems work and how antibodies work and what all of this means for us in the real world and what it means for these lockdowns and extreme social distancing measures. So, the first thing we probably need to understand is that viruses are not alive. You may remember this from high school biology. Viruses are very complex organic molecules that contain genetic material, they cannot reproduce, they don't even have respiration or metabolism. But these complex molecules interact with the DNA and RNA of our own cells and actually hijacked the cells so that the cells of the human body manufacture more viruses that then flow through the body and hijack other cells to manufacture more viruses. Viruses are not even alive, which is kind of fascinating. And our bodies have the most amazing system For battling against these non-alive complex organic molecules so that they don't hijack our entire bodies and eventually cause systemic body failure. The way that our body overcomes viruses is by manufacturing antibodies that have a molecular structure such that they can attach to the viruses and thus disable them so that they can't hijack more cells to create more viruses. So if your antibody counts to the viruses get high enough, they overwhelm the virus and the virus is no longer able to function in your body, and then you're no longer sick. Now at that point, your body may have to heal from damage that was done by the viruses. It may take a little while for that healing to take place as tissues are rebuilt and you uh, begin to get your energy back and feel better. But the bottom line is the virus is no longer attacking your body once you have sufficient antibodies in place to overwhelm the viruses. This is from novusbio.com, and it's a a short description of what an antibody does. What is an antibody? An antibody is an immunoglobulin protein secreted by B lymphocytes that is present in the serum or body fluid and combines specifically with an antigen. Antigens are classically defined as any foreign substance that elicits an immune response. An antigen that produces an adaptive immune response after injection into an animal is called an immunogen. Immunogens can be designed so that antibodies are generated against specific proteins. Because antibodies can be made against specific proteins, they are very useful tools in science and can be used to investigate specific protein function and location in a dynamic biological system. But the body has to learn how to make antibodies. Once it learns the pattern, then the long-term immunity is established, since the body's immune system remembers the pattern and can fire up the antibody production later when needed. Let me paraphrase this in more lay people's terms. An antibody is a protein that attaches itself to a virus and disables a virus from being able to hijack a human cell and create more viruses. That's the bottom line. But the antibody has a very specific molecular structure that's required to match the molecular structure of any given virus so that it can do its job. And the human body doesn't have all known antibodies, you know, already in the immune system. Rather, the human body has to sort out, has to figure out the right molecular structure for the antibody that can overcome the virus. It's amazing that the human body has this ability. These are very, 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 very complex systems and complex molecules, but the body does figure it out. So let's say that you catch a cold. It's a virus, and your body's first immune response might be a slight fever. Uh, You might notice your eyes start to water and your sinuses start to drain, and maybe you're going to develop a cough, a sore throat. So what's going on here? is that the fever heats up the body, which inhibits the virus reproduction and slows down the spread of the virus a little bit. The mucus that's being formed throughout your body washes away and flushes away the viruses by the, by the billions and trillions so that they're no longer in your body to hurt your body. But all of these responses are just to slow the advance of the virus until your immune system can figure out the right antibody to create. Once the immune system creates that antibody, then those antibodies flood through the tissues of your body, they attach to the viruses, disable them, and then they get flushed out of your body. Now, the antibodies stay in your blood, they stay in your body fluids, in your serum, for some period of time afterwards, and while the numbers of antibodies might reduce over time, the body doesn't generally quickly forget how to manufacture that antibody. So if you were to be exposed to that same virus again, that same cold virus again, then your body knows right away, okay, the antibody XYZ is the right one. It manufactures a large number of them and the virus is overwhelmed. So you don't get sick again by being exposed to that same cold that you had earlier in life. It's an amazing and miraculous system. And so right now, people that are catching coronavirus and go through the, you know, the, the, the week to 10 days of illness for a moderate or a light case, or maybe up to three or four weeks for a more serious case, the people that go through that illness cycle and then recover, they have recovered because their bodies have figured out individually how to create the antibodies. And the antibodies have done their job. Then the tissues that were damaged by the virus heal and you're well again. So that's the way that it works. Now let's talk for a minute about blood plasma containing antibodies. The antibodies are found in serum. You may remember from the movie Balto, the story about how the Iditarod race was established. In 1925, there had to be a serum run to Nome, Alaska. The reason was because there had been a diphtheria outbreak, and there were communities, Nome and surrounding areas, that desperately needed help because people were dying of diphtheria. So the serum run in 1925 was to carry serum containing the correct diphtheria antibodies to the community so the people then could be treated with the serum and be able to overcome the diphtheria epidemic. Of course, now we know that the Iditarod race is held in honor of this 1925 serum run that saved so many lives in Nome, Alaska and in the surrounding communities so what about this serum the serum is the part of the body fluid that can be separated out of the blood that will hold the antibodies so could you put the serum from one person inside of another person so that the antibodies then could fight the virus well the answer is yes you can do this however the body doesn't learn how to manufacture the antibodies by simply having the serum what happens is that the antibodies still do their job they can go into the new person and they can fight against the virus and hold it at bay for a while until that person's own body learns how to manufacture the antibodies that are necessary so while the serum treatment is not necessarily a cure for a virus it can certainly knock down the number of viruses that are rampaging through a person's body while the body itself learns how to overcome the illness Serum treatment of COVID 19 is being tested in New York, and I'm watching headlines to see the outcomes of those trials because this could be a very valuable treatment that would allow us to buy time for people that are suffering in rather severe cases so that their bodies can learn how to generate their own antibodies and then they can get well. So I have a lot of hope for this treatment. Now, there's something else that's interesting about this. This whole dynamic is also the reason that vaccines work. If a harmless antigen can be introduced to the immune system and the antigen won't actually hurt your body, but maybe it it looks just like the coronavirus or it's a dead coronavirus or it's the right protein part of the coronavirus, then the body can learn how to create the antibody pattern that's necessary to attach to that. And once the body learns how to produce them, then the immune system can quickly manufacture the antibodies if needed, which can overwhelm any invading pathogens slash viruses slash bugs so if you have a vaccine that can train the body and train the immune system then it will know in advance of ever getting coronavirus how to beat coronavirus and that's what keeps people from getting sick so really vaccines are just a way to trick the body into learning to make the antibodies without actually going through the illness itself the complexity of these organic molecules is vast How the body's immune system sorts through all of this extraordinarily complex world of proteins and amino acids and cellular reproduction, etc. is just completely astounding to me. But I'm glad that it works, because that's what makes us well again when we get sick. Let's go full circle now. Why do these antibodies matter, beyond just getting well? They establish that you have had the coronavirus, and even more importantly, that your body has learned how to beat it. That means that you can no longer get sick nor spread the virus to others unless one of two things happen. First, your immune system can forget how to make the antibodies. Now, there are some illnesses when you're exposed to it and your body learns how to make the antibodies, it remembers for life how to make the antibodies. There are other illnesses where the body starts to forget over time, and we, we really don't know how long the immunity will last from the coronavirus infection. It could be that it lasts long enough that you'll never get this coronavirus again for the rest of your life. It may be that it lasts long enough that for this outbreak, you're gonna be protected. We don't really know, time will tell as we observe the development of the situation. Now, the other thing that can cause a loss of immunity is not really the loss of immunity to the virus, but the change in the virus itself. Viruses mutate, and they swap genetic material back and forth as they reproduce in the human body and so they can form new viruses that are different enough in the molecular structure from the original virus that the antibodies that your body has learned how to develop no longer can attach to it and if they can't if they can't bond to the new virus and disable it then the antibodies don't do their job. So your body has to learn how to make new antibodies that can fight the new virus. And this is what happens with the flu every year. It's the reason why we have a seasonal flu that sweeps, sweeps around the planet and why once you've had the flu, you still are vulnerable to catching the flu the following year. It's because it mutates that quickly. So every year, we have new strains of the flu that our bodies have to learn to battle against. What do we know about the immunity to the coronavirus? SmithsonianMag.com had an article today that says, though COVID-19 likely makes recovered patients immune, experts aren't sure how long the protection will last. Um, and the following is written by Katherine J. Wu. Resolving the COVID-19 pandemic quickly hinges on a crucial factor. How well a person's immune system remembers SARS-CoV-2 the virus behind the disease, after infection has been resolved and the patient is back to good health. This phenomenon called immune memory helps our bodies avoid reinfection by a bug we've had before and influences the potency of life-saving treatments and vaccines. By starving pathogens of hosts to infect, immune individuals cut off the chain of transmission, bolstering the health of the entire population. Scientists don't yet have definitive answers about SARS-CoV-2 immunity. For now, people who have had the disease appear unlikely to get it again, at least within the bounds of the current outbreak. Small early studies in animals suggest immune molecules may stick around for weeks at least after the initial exposure. Because researchers have only known about the virus for a few months, however, we can't yet confidently forecast how long the immunity or the immune defenses against the SARS-CoV-2 will last. So what does all of this science mean for us right now during the COVID-19 pandemic? This discussion is the direction the world must go if we are to keep the economic damage from killing more people than the coronavirus does. And I I don't like to use that terminology, but that's something we need to be aware of. Knowledge is power. The economic challenges being created by this pandemic could end up being worse than the pandemic itself if we don't handle it correctly. Thankfully, we can handle it correctly. But let's think in these terms. Once some modicum of immunity as a result of having recovered from the COVID-19 is established, then people with COVID-19 antibodies have no reason to be in lockdown anymore. This matters. They can neither catch nor spread the virus, at least as long as the immunity lasts. These people should be free to function normally and help reboot the economy, etc. The world has 805,000 confirmed coronavirus cases, Now, these are not all ongoing cases. These are the cases that happened, but a lot of people have recovered, and that's the great news. To date, we have 172,000 people who have recovered officially. I'm guessing that since so few tests have actually been conducted to establish official counts that many, many, many more people actually have the antibodies and the immunity to coronavirus than these 172,000 that we have listed. So if a person could be tested positive for the antibodies, then they first should no longer be restricted by the lockdowns. Second, then they're gonna be available to start the return to normalcy, opening shops and restaurants and going to shops and restaurants, etc. And these people could also form a voluntary army of caregivers who can help others through the illness with no concern for reinfection. Keep in mind that time will tell and time is required to know how long the immunity provided by the antibodies will last and may last a lifetime. It may last only several months, but we can take advantage of it while it does last, and it will be quickly apparent if repeat cases do develop. So I think we have a real opportunity here. If we can start doing blood tests for the antibodies and we can establish who's immune and who's not, then that allows us to kind of get out of the unknown into the known. And you know, another article came up today, several places in the internet saying, Why don't we have a nationwide lockdown? Who best to manage a local situation than the local people who have the local knowledge about the local situation? The more granularity that we can get from managing this outbreak, the better. There are places all over the United States where there is no pandemic at this point. Now, it's not that there's no risk of the development of an outbreak in those areas, but we can say that it doesn't currently have an outbreak. There are other areas like New York and New Jersey, who are having a a horrible outbreak right now, and everything needs to be done that can possibly be done to curtail that before the the medical resources are overwhelmed. But what that means is it's hotspots, it's localized, and local health departments need to be making the decisions. How do they make the decisions? They make the decisions based on the number of new cases, the spread of the illness, the amount of immunity that's developed, in that community, how much traffic there is between that community and other communities, how much at-risk population they actually have in that local community. And if you can put all these factors together, you can make wise decisions to limit the amount of lockdown or increase the amount of lockdown as necessary to have a a custom-tailored approach to managing this outbreak in that local community. That's the level where it needs to be happening. And and probably the county level is about the right size, though city levels, I think, also could be effective, potentially statewide levels in extreme cases like New York. But the reality is we need to be dealing with this on the county level with the support of the state and the federal governments. And that allows us then to have a custom-tailored approach to managing not only the coronavirus outbreak, but the economic impacts of the coronavirus outbreak. And by doing that delicate dance, that delicate balance, understanding immunity, we can get people back to work and back to normalcy. And it might be, you know, that a community says, all right, we're loosening our restrictions a little bit. And then as they are monitoring the situation, they say, nope, we got to lock it back down again. And with all of this experimentation and with all of these efforts to maintain this balance, Susceptible populations must always be protected, meaning if you are elderly, if you have underlying health conditions that make you more susceptible to a more serious illness from this virus, then you should be protected regardless of where you are. It doesn't matter if there's an outbreak in your community or not. If you are a member of a susceptible population, you need to be exercising extra particular care. And the people that you're interacting with need to be exercising extra particular care. Why this deep dive into what viruses are and what antibodies are? Well, for me, it's pretty simple. Immunity is going to be the solution to getting us out of the lockdowns and back to normalcy. And that's the conversation that we need to be focusing on as a city, as a county, as a state, as a nation, as the world. We need to be talking about immunity and antibodies because that is going to be the future for humanity. I want to do a quick rundown of the numbers today because I didn't go over them in any detail yesterday. I'm not going to dive in super deep, but worldwide we broke 800,000 cases. And keep in mind, not all of those cases are still active. We have 172,000 recoveries and so that brings the number of active cases down quite a lot down to oh somewhere around 630,000 now these are still just official cases where testing has taken place so we still have a huge shortage of testing and test kits we need the population to be tested in mass so that we can establish what's really going on with this virus but in the meantime while people are not being tested the reason they're not being tested is generally because they're not very sick they haven't been in known contact with someone that has COVID-19 and so they are not considered at risk enough to be tested But that means that these people can be developing this immunity that we're talking about because they might have COVID-19. And as they go through the illness and come out the other side of it, then their body learns how to manufacture the antibodies that are necessary to overwhelm the virus. Of those 805,000 total cases, 164,700 are in the United States. The United States now holds the undesirable top spot for the most cases For any nation on earth. As I keep saying over and over again, the United States is also the world's third most populous country. So if you divide the number of cases by our population, then a lot of good things start to pop out. One number that's nice is that the deaths per 1 million population from coronavirus are only 10 per 1 million in the United States. That puts the United States in the 21st slot in how lethal coronavirus has been so far. 21st, not first. That sounds a lot better. If you also look at the total cases per 1 million of population, then that's 498. So roughly 500 people out of each million have a confirmed case of coronavirus in the United States. You know, we'd like to see that number go down, Let's compare that to some other countries around the planet. San Marino has 6,778 cases per million. Um, Andorra, 4,789 cases per million. Um, Iceland, over 3,000 cases per million. Gibraltar, over 2,000 cases per million. Now, obviously... These are places that have low population counts. They have a small outbreak, but that makes their cases per million look high. But let's talk about some countries we've been hearing more about lately. Spain, 2,000 cases per million. Italy, 1,600, almost 1,700 cases per million. And while Italy has more cases than Spain, that means that Spain has more cases per population. As we go down this list, the United States is way, way down here at only 500 cases per million. While the United States has a number one slot for total cases, we actually don't have that much penetration of the illness in the United States, which is is good news. We're doing right things, social distancing, some of the lockdowns. What a, a lot of the governors around the United States have directed their states to do, is to shelter at home. Stay home unless you have a critical function where you have to go out. You can go out for groceries, you can go out to get exercise. And when you go out, it doesn't mean that you are being exposed to the illness. What we're trying to do is keep people from interacting in closed spaces where the illness will run rampant. So let's say for a moment that you go out for groceries, like I did yesterday. It's kind of an eerie thing right now. People are walking through grocery stores, glancing at other people and trying to maintain a separation distance of at least six feet. They're eyeballing the produce. Did someone sneeze on that? There's a sense of of fear, and it's almost morbid. You know the reality is, people, it's very highly unlikely that when you go into a grocery store that there's anybody else in that store or another 10 or 20 stores at the same time that have COVID-19. And it's even more unlikely when you're in that grocery store that the COVID-19 could be transmitted from someone that is infected to you. Very, very highly unlikely. All you really need to do to make sure that you don't get the illness, even if you're in the room with somebody who has COVID-19, is to make sure that you're not touching surfaces that they have sneezed or coughed on and then touching your face with your hand. That's really it. Now, if they sneeze in your direction, the idea of the six-foot separation is you don't want that sneeze to land on you. But if you're able to not be sneezed on and you can wash your hands and sterilize your hands, you're not going to get sick. So, you know, when you're walking around the grocery store, smile at people. Say good afternoon. Say good morning. Be human. They're not sick, okay? And they're very highly unlikely to make you sick if they were sick. So instead, be human out there and encourage one another, and we'll all get through this together. I started the Weathering Coronavirus podcast because I wanted to be able to help people with some rational information. I wanted to be able to report what the media was saying in a way that would not be so alarming and would allow people to have the information they need to be safe, to make wise decisions, to overcome fear, and to thrive through this crisis. However, our download counts have not been very high, and there's a reason for that. iTunes especially has not been picking up our show in their search engines. So if you go into iTunes and you search for coronavirus, guess what? Weathering coronavirus updates and hope does not show up. And if people don't know it exists, then people can't listen to it. And if people can't listen to it, then people don't receive the help that we're trying to offer. So I need your help. Will you please go into iTunes and rate the show there? And I don't even care if you don't like the show and you rate it poorly. Offer a review. These sorts of things help to wake up iTunes to the information that we're providing and allow us to get added to the search engine results so that people can hear the show. Also, if you are using Stitcher, do the same thing. Rate us in Stitcher, leave a short review, Thank you very, very much for doing that. Another way that you can help us is by subscribing. So when the show comes out each day, it will download. You will know that the show is ready for you to listen and you won't miss it. By subscribing, you can also help us very much to get the word out that hopefully will encourage people and maybe even save lives. I'm Kurt Linville, and today's show is produced by Caleb Linville. Until next time, be safe out there.